think I'm <clears throat> croaked my throat trying to get those high notes. No, no, I, I had a gulp before I got up, but thank you, Jeffrey. That's good. Well, we're about to start a, a brand new series um, called Advice to the Church. We're going to be going through the book of 1 Timothy. And the book of 1 Timothy is really a book that is from Paul to his spiritual son, Timothy. Uh, now, uh, Paul planted a church in Ephesus, and uh, I'm still amazed at how Paul plants churches. He goes in, he uh, sees people come to Jesus, he prays for the Holy Spirit, he stays for a short amount of time, gives them minimal information, and then just takes off. He says, bye-bye, I'm off. And, and, and what he would do is he would send people back to the churches to make sure that they're doing okay and to bring them instruction and to guide them on the right path. And what Paul did is he sent Timothy back to the church of Ephesus to make sure that they stayed on track because he'd heard rumours that they were starting to drift. They were starting to go... Uh, and, and bring other things in to what the saving work of God was other than just focusing on what is important. Paul knew that without refocusing on what is important that people would drift away. And we see that in relationships all the time, that if we don't keep on coming back and refocusing on what is important, then relationships will drift. If you've got a great friendship, you've got a, a great friendship because not only do you get along, but occasionally both of you will get to the point where you go, hang on a minute, we're kind of drifting away here. We've got to come back to why we enjoy this friendship, why we enjoy this relationship. If you've got a joy of, of, of being... Uh, in, a, in a relationship of a romantic kind, this, the same thing happens there. Is that unless you focus on what's really important and keep on focusing on it, there is a tendency to, to drift away. And I, I don't know how many people that I've sat down and counseled and they go, oh, we, we're just not getting along as much anymore. And I said, well, what are you doing to love each other? Oh, well, we haven't done what we used to do. We're just doing our own thing now. And there's a drifting that starts to happen. And, and what we see in Paul's letter to Timothy is that Paul was acutely aware that even though he sent this young man called Timothy, and when I mean young, I'm meaning he, he's 30. He's, he's not that young. <laughs> but in the, in the olden days, 30 was when you really, particularly for a guy, I think we should reinstate it personally, 30 was when you actually were recognised as being mature. So just some of you got a bit of work to do. Yeah, give him a nudge. Yeah, yeah. So um, you girls, you got it easy. You're, you're seen as mature as 13, so you're fine. But, um, um, but for guys, it was 30. And, uh, and, and, and Paul sees himself as the spiritual father of Timothy. He means it's not his real father. Paul wasn't married. He, he stayed celebrant all his life. But what he did do is that when he came across Timothy and he, he saw something in him that he goes, you know what, I want to invest in that. 
God's doing something in your life. I see something incredible there. And, and I don't want to just leave it to chance, but what I want to do is I want to parent you, spiritually parent you into that coming into existence. And, and over a period of time, particularly over the last 30 years, maybe just in the Uniting Church, but probably others as well, we've got this tendency to not want to see that happen, but just assume that people are going to pick up on what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to be in leadership and what it means to do it. Paul does not take it to chance. He sows deeply into Timothy and then releases him to go and do the work that he's going to do because he knows that the Ephesians are drifting and Timothy is his man to encourage them back into the things that matter and to refocus them on what is important. Because as human beings, we have a tendency to always drift into self-interest than to drift into companionship. We always have a tendency to want to drift into what we like instead of what is good for other people. So we're going to read from 1 Timothy uh, 1 down to um, 11 or 12. And, uh, and this, is, this is Paul's introduction to Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the command of God our Saviour and of Jesus Christ our hope. To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy and peace from God, the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I urge you when I went into Macedonia to stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer. Don't you love that, I, that in the early church there was stuff going down? Like there's nothing new when, when churches are having issues. It's not new been going on since the beginning of the church whenever you get a group of people together can you go back to three because i've lost my place people are not to teach false doctrines any longer thanks or to devote themselves to myths or endless uh, genealogies such things promote uh, controversial speculations rather than advancing god's work which is by faith the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere, sincere faith. Not a sense. It's, I'm about to go on holidays. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the Lord, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if it is used properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and rebels, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and the irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, yes, the Bible goes there, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. I thank Christ our Lord who has given me strength 
that he considers me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. So we see that there's nothing new under the sun. Here we have a church that is getting caught in a loop of things that don't matter. They're having conversations about things that don't bring any life or any spiritual renewal to the community. They're going around and around in circles and, and Paul wants Timothy to get him in line. But I want you to hear Paul's desire in this. His desire is not for Timothy to tell people off or to judge people, but his desire is so that they may see the light and enter back into the truth that he believes is the gospel. His desire is not that Timothy picks up a bat and smashes them over the head with really wise and smart and witty theology. His desire is he wants to restore them back into the kingdom of God. And as we go on in the chapter over the next couple of weeks, we see that he's even prepared to put people to one side for a period of time to see that happen. His desire is that people would come back to the most important point in the gospel. And so what he starts to outline is he outlines what is a negative-positive-negative sandwich. In Scripture, you'll see that Scripture is sometimes layered in, in, uh, in literally, uh, literally liter- no, I can't even say, in a special writing form. Let me speak plainer English. And, uh, and so, so they will structure it in certain ways to give it meaning. And this, in this way, he, he does a, a uh, this is the problem, this is the solution, this is the problem. He does a double layer. And I'm going to take the two problems and then I'm going to look at the solution and look at it. Now, whether it's uh, talking to the church or whether it's talking about the relationships in your life, I think they're both validly important. Because I think that what Paul articulates here, we could actually see happen in our, regulations and, uh, our, our relationships. And if you want to know whether your relationship is drifting, then have a look at the two things that Paul s- says as signs of why they are drifting. If, if you're in a relationship at the moment and, and you're just feeling like there's a bit of an uncertainty, I don't, I don't, it just doesn't feel like it used to, is, is, it, is it drifting? Then these two uh, are symptoms, if you like, of a drifting relationship. It's like a cold. When you get a cold, you get a runny nose and, and it's a sign, isn't it, that something's not right. And, and you take all the kind of pills and everything else and the magic herbal tea that your grandma taught you and all these other things that you take to to try and get better but when you start getting the pounding headaches and the tight shoulders you go oh maybe it really is a cold and maybe that magic formula hasn't worked and you see it as another sign and you realize that you've got to do something and so Paul here is taking a couple of things to say look at these in your relationships in the church and in your personal life to say whether or not you are drifting from what is really important. So the first thing he says, he says, if, if a relationship is drifting, whether our relationships in the church are drifting or whether our relationships at home are drifting, he said the first thing that will happen is that your talk will become superficial. He says, we'll start talking about things that are useless. 
We won't, we won't talk about things that really matter. We'll talk about superficial things. And us guys are particularly good at keeping things at a superficial level. We don't like to go too deep to our own, uh, own struggle and our own deficit. But he's saying what happens is, is that if you want to know if a relationship is, is drifting is you won't actually talk about what really matters. And in the church, we won't talk about what really matters, what is central to the faith. What we'll do is we'll start talking about anything else. We'll talk about whether or not the toilets are clean. We'll talk about what they should be, by the way. Um, we'll, we'll talk about, complain about whether the songs are too loud. We'll, we'll go on any kind of conversation, but the really conversation that really matters, and, is gen- and that is, is Jesus central to our life? And in relationships, we'll start having conversations about things that don't matter. We'll start talking about how particularly bad the crows were last night. Or, or, or we'll start talking about how, um, you know, the, the, the things that we, we don't like, but we don't, don't really have much to do about anything. And, and why our talk doesn't matter because it sh- our, our talk becomes um, circular or our, ter- our conversation becomes trivial is because we don't want to get real. We don't want to get real with the people that are most important to us in our life. And so we'll talk about anything and everything but what we really need to talk about. Now I don't know if you've ever been in an argument with one that you love but it's really easy to be upset and not say anything about what you're upset about and to dig it under the carpet and and uh, and you blame everything and everything but talk about the thing that really matters to you I did that on Friday so it's just really real for me but what what the sign should be is that if our conversations aren't about the things of the heart, both in church and out of church, then it means that our relationships don't, we're seeing that our relationships don't deserve the deepest parts of who we are. And Paul says if that you're not talking about the deepest parts of who you are, then your relationship is drifting. If you're talking about genealogies, as it says here, or going in circular talk, or talking about things that don't matter, number uh, verse four it says they devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies to promote controversies rather than God's work. And so Paul's saying, if, you, if you're drifting in your relationships, conversation's the runny nose. So what may be the headache and the, and the pain in the back of the shoulders? Well, that actually w- is when you start doing actions that actually hurt people or you hurt yourself. And Paul starts to outline them here, a list of things that people can do. And what he's actually doing in this, in this, um, in, in these, uh, passages where he says, you know, the, um, 
They kill fathers and mothers and murderers, for adulterers, for those practicing homosexuality, for um, liars and, and perjurers. What he's actually doing is, is he's talking about uh, a rework of the Ten Commandments. And he's just done it in a different, probably done it to deal with issues that are affecting the Ephesians church. Now, what I love about Scripture and what I love about how the Bible talks about people is that it never calls someone what they've done. So in this day and age, we tend to say that if someone is steals, that they're, they're a thief. Or, or we, we tend to label that's the person that they are. As that, like we've put a character trait upon them. And Scripture doesn't do that. It keeps the character trait away from the action. Because he, the, the Scriptures know that the character is, is that you are either a child of God or you are potentially on the way to being a child of God. And that you do stuff that reflects either that you're a part of God's kingdom or you do stuff that reflects that you're not, but that's not who you are. And so he, he wants to say that that the second symptom that your relationship is drifting is that you start doing stuff that is selfish or self-centered. And that as a relationship or as a church, that you start concentrating on what you want instead of what is good for everyone. And these things are worked out in the way that he suggests. So if you're drifting, your words become meaningless and your actions become selfish. But Paul's heart is that everyone would refocus on what's really important. And so his heart is this, and it comes in verse 5. He says, this is what is important. The goal of this command is love. That's what he sees as most important, which comes with a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. That's what he wants to birth in you and me. A pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. So he, he, he's desiring for these things. So these are the symptoms, but this is the cure. This is what, if we focus on be, having a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith, in all the relationships in our life, including the church, everyone's going to be so much happier and better off. And we won't drift away from what's important. We'll keep our compass pointed due north. So how do we do that? Well, a pure heart simply means that a heart that is not corrupted. It means that, that, um, that you have a heart that wants to bless and not judge. It, it has a, a heart that wants to forgive but, and not stay in to bitterness. You've heard me talk about it more than one occasion that God wants us to deal with the junk that's in our trunk. And to have a pure heart, you've got to deal with those issues of judgment or bitterness that come up in your life. You've got to deal with them regularly. And to have a pure heart where you look at someone, you can have compassion on them, you can have love for them, means that you can't hold bitterness and you can't hold judgment within it. 
And so in your relationships, you've got to ask yourself, is my heart pure? Am I bitter? Do I need to ask God to come in and do a work inside of me? Secondly, it says that you've got to have a good conscience. What does that mean? Well, for me, I think it believes that we're going to deal with the secrets. We're going to deal with our shame and we're going to deal with our guilt. And the great news is that that's what the gospel is all about. It's not holding on to shame or guilt or secrets, but it's about allowing God to shine his light on them and bring healing and wholeness to them. But if we're holding secrets towards anyone, and particularly in relationships, then it's going to be hard work. can't tell you how many relationships I've seen that have been devastated by secrets. And lastly, he says, you should have a sincere faith. And a sincere faith um, basically means... a, a a, a, a true faith, a faith that is not false. Which means that you're not pretending that your relationship with God is something that it's not. Be actually honest about it. Sometimes it's hard work. Sometimes you feel dry. Sometimes, and, and that you're honest before God and before others and not trying to push yourself up to see more holy than what you actually are. And so Paul is writing to the church, he says, I want you to be focused on love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And if you do that, then your words and your actions will line up to those things. Now Paul is writing to the church. He's not writing to the world, he's writing to the church. He wants the church to get it right. He wants the church to focus back on what is important. Now, in this, he says this really interesting line. He says, we know that the law is good if uh, we use it properly. We know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers. And so what he's saying there is that because you and I have given our life to Jesus and the Holy Spirit has come upon us, if we keep our... our um, our heart's pure, our conscience is clear, and what was the other one? Um, our faith sincere. Take you back to verse 5 if you can for me, Bex. Thanks. It says, if we do that, then we can hear what the Spirit of God is saying to us. And the Spirit of God can tell us, you're being an idiot, Barry, stop what you're doing. You're being an idiot, Barry, because you're not treating the people in your life in the right way. You're being an idiot, Barry, because you're not looking after people's feelings and emotions. And the Spirit of God can come upon me and upon you and can lead you. And so the law, you don't need the law. Because the Spirit of God is the law inside of you, points you and guides you. But if your heart is full of bitterness and full of judgment, then hearing the voice of God is pretty hard. If, you, if your conscience is not clear, it's, 
kind of murky, you're holding secrets, then hearing the voice of God is hard. If you're trying to pretend to be more spiritual than what you are and trying to be something that you're not, then hearing the voice is going to be hard and you're not going to be able to hear the voice of the Spirit correct and guide you. Paul is saying, I want the Spirit of God to be able to guide every believer into truth. But if Paul was talking to those outside of the church, and he's not, he's saying that the law is there basically as a signpost to say, you're driving in the wrong direction. Stop. Cliff is coming. Don't go that way in a hope that they would see that and repent and turn back to God. Now here's, a, here's, here's an important point for us. Our job of the church is not to judge people by, the, by saying that they've got to live the way that God asks us to live. We can't come expecting people who are outside of the faith to, to live and, and, and be uh, the way that the Spirit of God actually encourages us to be. We can pray that they can come to faith and that God can do a work in them, but it is not our right and not our place to judge people outside of the church and say that they should be living the way we think that they should be living not our place Paul says that the law, law's place is to do that and though these things that he, he's written out here who, which are a rework of the Ten Commandments are basically a signpost for them that if their hearts want to can turn and say there is something not right in my life and I've got to change but that's not our job that's God's job Because I believe that Paul is channeling the heart of God here is that he doesn't want to condemn people. He wants to see people come and focus on what's important. So where are you with your relationships? Your relationship with God and your relationship with other people. You can never have a great relationship with another person until you've worked on your relationship with God. Are you holding secrets? Are you holding judgment? Are you holding bitterness? Are you holding shame and guilt? Are you trying to be somebody that you're not? God wants to do a work starting in you to bring you back to the point of his reality of what's really important, to stop you from drifting and focusing you back in that you are to love with a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a sincere faith. And the great news is, we don't have to do this in our own strength. All we have to do is come back towards God and say, God, will you step into my life and do that work in me? Will you help me to deal with the stuff that I haven't yet dealt with? so I can focus back on what's really important, 
so that my relationships can be great, both with those in the church and those whom we love. Will you stand with me, please? No, no, you guys can stay. Nathan can play. I just want you to to just spend a moment in just asking yourself the question, Is my heart pure? Is my conscience clear? Is my faith sincere? And if you want God to do a work, just as everyone's got their eyes closed, if you want God to do a work in any of those areas, just hold your hands out in front of you as a sign of you, you wanting God to do something. And we're just going to invite God to step in because God wants you to be healthy. God wants you to wake up with a pure heart, a clean conscience. God wants to start a work inside of you so that all your relationships can be amazing. So just hold your hands out in front of you. So loving God, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you know that in our character we drift away from you and away from the ones that we love. And so, Lord, I thank you that Paul, through the power of your spirit, encourages us to focus back on what's important. And so, Lord, for those of us who've got our hands held out, we we simply say, Lord, will you start the work in us we can't do it in our own strength we can't do it in our own might we can't do it with with wonderful willpower but by your spirit working in us you can make us clean and you can help us to deal with the things in our lives so we simply invite you in Lord come into my relationship and come into our heart change me first Lord then help me to live a life worthy of your calling and be a blessing to those I'm in relationship with. Come Holy Spirit and encourage us and move in us, we pray. So Lord, we we lift ourselves to you. We give you thanks and we give you praise. In Jesus' name.